So we've come to actually the end of our sermon series through the Kings. Uh, later on, I hope to pick up the story and, and finish things off. Uh, but today the title is The Best Holiday. The Best Holiday. And I have to ask, what's the best holiday? Okay. Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Okay, any others? Groundhog's Day. Okay. Yeah. Sabbath. Amen. Weekly holiday. Yes. Feast of Tabernacles. That's a good one. Yeah. Valentine's Day. Yeah. What's that? Salvation Day. Veterans Day. Uh, I love all these holidays. They're, they're all good in their own way. My personal favorite happens to be Thanksgiving. There are just a lot of good memories and a lot of good things about Thanksgiving. Namely, there's good food. There's good time with family. You don't have pressure to give gifts to anybody. Amen. Amen. You just get to enjoy and be thankful and do those kinds of things. I remember <laughs> something popped into my head this morning. Uh, my mom was this amazing Sabbath school teacher uh, for like 30 years in Crater Roll 2. The church was big enough that they had two divisions of Crater Roll. She taught the older kids. And she was doing a unit on thankfulness. And she was telling the traditional Thanksgiving story, although there are variations. She was telling the one that we all grow up knowing. And there were two Native Americans that were very helpful in this story. Do you remember what their names were? Squanto and Samoset. Yeah. And while she was talking about how kind and generous Squanto was, she mistakenly said Sasquatch, <laughs> which is another name for Bigfoot. So she was saying, now boys and girls, isn't it wonderful what Sasquatch did for the pilgrims? And Don't you think God was working in Sasquatch's heart to help provide food? Later, I think she was laying in bed and she realized what she had said and was horrified that none of the parents had bothered to tell her. Just chuckling to themselves, no doubt. Thanksgiving has a lot of good memories, a lot of good things. Um, by the way, I'm thankful for whoever gave me this tie. It was just showed up on my desk one day, thank you, whoever that was. Um, a lot of good memories. Today we're going to talk about an even better holiday, uh, at least as far as spiritual uh, things are concerned. But before we do that, I want to just review where we've been. We've covered a lot of kings. We haven't covered them all, but we've hit a lot of them. We first talked about Rehoboam. Uh, one of the key lessons that we learned from Rehoboam is that it's so important to seek out and listen to good advice. He listened to his young friends that he grew up with, and the kingdom split because he took the bad advice. Then Jeroboam I, we saw that security comes through devotion to God, not compromise. He tried to make his reign more secure by making a different altar in his kingdom, thus setting up his kingdom to be separate from the temple services, and they never turned back. Every choice matters. The ripple effects of his decisions lasted, uh, will last forever. Uh, Asa, 
Asa had a lot of good things in his life, but at the end, he got stubborn. Stubbornness we saw in holding on to offenses, the things that people say and do to hurt you, holding on to that can cripple your life. And Asa literally ended his life as a cripple and refused to ask God for healing. Don't hold on. Let it go. Accept forgiveness. Give forgiveness. And your life will be so much better because of it. We studied Jehoshaphat. And we learned you have to be super careful who you ally yourself with. He allied with Ahab. He even gave uh, his son to marry Ahab's daughter. We saw the negative consequences. Be careful what you, who you ally yourself with. And then we talked about King Ahaziah. Ahaziah, we learned from his short life that life is short. Um, he didn't expect his life to be cut short so soon. So don't procrastinate on the things that are most important. Do today the things that are most important. Tell your family now that you love them. Get, uh, give forgiveness now for those things that separate you. Accept Christ fully into your heart today. Witness to your friends and family members. Athaliah, uh, the queen, compromise is often slow and can have devastating consequences. Athaliah didn't grow up thinking she was going to kill her grandchildren and take the throne, but that's where she got to, one step at a time through compromise. We also saw that you've got to be careful what influences you allow in your life. Got to be so careful what we allow. Then Joash, the young boy king, we saw that you can't be a third wheel in someone else's relationship with God. You have to have your own personal faith. So grow your faith roots deep with God. King Amaziah, half-hearted devotion leads to full-hearted idolatry and rebellion against God. He served God, but not wholeheartedly, and he took the foolish idols of the nations he had destroyed and set them up to worship and serve them himself. Finally, well, not quite finally, but getting towards the end, we talked about Uzziah, and we learned it's important to remain humble even when you're strong. Not bad to be strong, we just have to be careful that we don't think that it's us who, who has the power and the strength. Last week, we talked about Jotham, and what did we learn? One of the main things we learned is that it's important to learn from the mistakes of others. Jotham had a good reign. He made good choices. He could have taken things further, but he did good in the, in the fact that he didn't make the mistakes that his father had made. And today, we're skipping over Ahaz. Summary of Ahaz is he was a very bad king. <laughs> One of the worst. But there's good lessons from his life, but I didn't want to do Thanksgiving Sabbath about such a terrible king. So we're going to end on a positive note by studying Hezekiah. So let's open up our Bibles to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 29, we're going to take a, a brief survey of the earlier part of Hezekiah's life. 2 Chronicles chapter 29, his life has so much content, we could do a sermon series just on Hezekiah. So we're, we could. Maybe we'll do it another day. But um, this morning, we're just going to focus on one aspect. And you'll see how the best holiday, the best uh, celebration fits in to Hezekiah's life very well. 
2 Chronicles 29 and verse 1. And it says there, Hezekiah became king when he was how old? 25 years old. And how long did he reign? 29 years. Long reign. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right or pleasing in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Anytime uh, it harkens back to David, it's always in, in a really good sense. Usually it says, and he did evil, just like his father so-and-so had done. But this, this time, no. Um, it's, it's putting us back to David. And in spite of how wicked his father Ahaz was, it's remarkable. Hezekiah starts off right. There's some interesting archaeological discoveries connected with Hezekiah. Try and share a few of those with you about the various kings. This is the seal of Hezekiah. It's interesting, you can see some wings on there. It, it just says, essentially, Hezekiah the son. This belongs to Hezekiah the son of Ahaz. And they discovered this in the area called Ophel. You remember we mentioned the word Ophel last week? So the place that Jotham built and fortified is the area where they found this, um, well, this is not the seal, this is the bulla. Uh, this is the clay that was on a document that was sealed and got hardened by fire uh, over time, apparently. This was found in a, in a garbage area from the 10th century BC um, or, or thereabouts. Uh, so very interesting seeing that. Uh, what was interesting for Sarah and I, when we got to go over to um, Israel, we got to go walking through Hezekiah's tunnel. And I shared some pictures uh, previously. That's the approximate path of Hezekiah's tunnel. It starts at the Gihon Spring, and it makes its way down to the Pool of Siloam. Uh, here is another um, depiction of it. And I believe down here at the bottom, it's showing how many um, meters below the surface the tunnel goes at its various points. Um, but they started digging at both sides, here and over here, and they met up in the middle. And there's this inscription that was placed on the inside and describes how they did it. It's been criticized by some because, as you'll notice, this is not a very straight line, right? <laughs> um, and there, the guess is that they were following the path of least resistance through the rock. So there were certain fissures of rock that were easier to dig through, which I would want to do also. You can dig further even if you have to, uh, because it's easier, even if it's not a straight line. But they met up. The inscription says when they were three cubits apart, so uh, yeah, about six feet, or uh, a cubit is a foot and a half, so um, four and a half feet apart approximately, they could hear each other's voices coming from both sides, and they kept digging, and then it says, axe to, went against axe, and they completed this project. Very, very fascinating. So it was fun to be able to walk through it. You can see someone you may recognize. Some places it's shorter, other places it's taller. This was built because Hezekiah realized for fortification purposes, it was better to have the water flowing into the city uh, in case there were enemies, and so because uh, the spring was a little bit outside the walls. So this brought the, 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 the water well within the city walls. And here's just a little video clip we took. You can't see a whole lot, 
Um, but it was, it was a pretty fun experience. And uh, there were some places where it was cut out a little bit above your heads. Um, the water was very, very cool, very refreshing. Some places it was about waist deep. Um, and other places it was six inches or so. What's that? Yeah, there was water in there. Uh, pretty, pretty fun experience. So Hezekiah was a very real person, and he did very real things. And we don't have to just take the words of Scripture for it. We can see the things with our own eyes. Very encouraging. So let's get into the story of Hezekiah. Verse 3, chapter 29 of Second Chronicles. It says, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, what did he do? He opened the doors of the temple. This wasn't just opening up for the day. They had been closed. The worship had ceased at the temple because his father Ahaz had commanded it to be so. Um, so from the very beginning of his reign, Hezekiah says, this is my most important agenda item as king. We're going to get the temple going again. He opens it up, the doors, and they repaired them. And then he said to the priests and the Levites and so forth, and you can see there in verse 5 and, and, and onward, he's saying, get yourselves ready, sanctify yourselves, and carry the trash, or in New King James it says, carry the rubbish, end of verse 5, from the holy place. There was garbage there, but there was also idolatry and various things connected to the evil that his father had done. They needed to physically get the temple ready to be used again. And the priests needed to get themselves purified and ready to serve in this capacity. And then verses 6, 7, and 8, uh, 9 describe how he had witnessed, uh, the people had witnessed the consequences of their wickedness. In fact, it wasn't too long before this that the northern kingdom of Israel, the, the ten northern tribes, many of them had been carried away by the Assyrians. They had been taken captive. They had seen the results of disobedience firsthand. And so Hezekiah realizes, if we don't change our ways, the same thing might happen to us. You know, sometimes it's okay to have fear be a motivator for proper behavior. I'm so glad that, that we don't preach uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God and fire and brimstone and try and scare people into following Jesus. But it is okay to think about natural consequences. Uh, I don't want to get diabetes. I don't want to die of heart disease. So I want to keep my body healthy, right? I don't want to shock myself. So I'm going to be careful when dealing with electricity, right? Hezekiah had seen the natural consequences of abandoning God. And he didn't want that to happen to his nation. Verse 10, now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be diligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. So he's saying we need to get things right. We need to get things right so the same thing doesn't happen to us. 
And so the verses that follow describe the procedures that they went through. It took them eight days or so to carry out all the rubbish from the temple. Uh, and there was a lot of work preparing their hearts. Not all of them prepared themselves properly, which caused some issues. But then they began to praise God in the temple eventually. In verse 28. The temple is now purified. The priests are ready to serve. And in verse 28, they start thanking God. It says, So all the assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and those who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads in worship. They are having a wonderful praise and worship session there, using the words in the Psalms. Verse 31, Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. Bring these sacrifices Accept the forgiveness of our God and then bring something as a token of your gratitude. Thank offerings. There are so many ways to express our gratitude. And in one awesome way to do that is through bringing to God our thanks through offerings. It's, it's recognizing that God owns everything and bringing to him um, above and beyond what he's asked of us, saying, God, I'm so thankful for what you've done I'm bringing this to you willingly. So that's what the people did. The assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. You see, when we experience true revival, true thanksgiving, it motivates us to do something more than just words. It translates into actions. For the people, they were so thankful for what God was doing and what he had done that it motivated them to bring additional offerings to God. Amen. Thankfulness results in action. Actions of gratitude, whatever that might look like. And so it describes in the verses that follow the, the various numbers of sacrifices that were brought to the Lord. And then we get to verse 36, and it says, Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. They were just so excited because it didn't take as long to get the temple running again as they expected it would. And they were filled with joy. And what the passage tells us next is that he determined that they were going to celebrate the Passover. It had been a long time since they had celebrated the Passover. Uh, and of course, the seven days preceding that, the Feast of Unleavened Bread been a long time and now it was the time to do it now they technically missed the month it was supposed to happen in the first month but they were so eager to do it uh, that they said oh that's all right we're gonna do it at a special time we're gonna do it now that we can and so the preparations began you know as we we're thinking about Thanksgiving this week it occurred to me that Passover is a lot like Thanksgiving but even better at Passover, really what they were doing was they were remembering and thanking God for sparing their lives in Egypt. When the angel of death passed over them because of the blood that was on their doorposts. They were so grateful to God 
for what he had done, and then eventually brought them out of the land of bondage. And during that time of thankfulness and remembering, they also had special foods that were particular to that holiday. They had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, seven days long. Wouldn't it be neat if Thanksgiving was a little longer than just one day? <laughs> yeah, so they got together for, for something even better than Thanksgiving, to remember what God had done for them, to praise him for it, to be together and fellowship, and to eat some special foods in the process. So Hezekiah sends out notices to everybody, including the people who didn't get carried away captive. He sent couriers around, people going to the villages and towns saying, we're going to have Passover. Come down and celebrate the Passover with us. And he reminds them in these notices, by the way, like people were taken away captive through disobedience, but it may be that God will spare us. Look at verse 9. Part of this message, it says, For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who led them captive, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. This was a message of mercy. Come, celebrate the Passover with us. There have been bad things that have happened, but... But God is good, and he, he wants to reverse what has been done. He's gracious and compassionate. You know, sometimes when we think about the Old Testament, we think God is a God of, of punishment and vindiction and judgment in the Old Testament. Well, listen, the people who lived during that time recognized that our God and his character is one of graciousness and compassion. The people who had experienced the judgments of God, they said, no, no, no. God is not a mean God that's just out to get us. God is a God who wants to be compassionate and wants to be gracious. But unfortunately, verses 10 through 12 describe how some of the people just mocked and laughed. They said, we don't want anything to do with that. No, that's silly. That's, that is not good at all. But there were people who decided to attend. There were people in verse 12 who decided with singleness of heart that they were going to participate. So verse 21, chapter 30, it says, So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. You know, uh, just because something's loud doesn't mean it's bad. Now, it may be bad, but, right? But there can be good music that is loud. That's a whole other subject, but I just wanted to make... An, loudness is not equating with bad, although it can very well be bad. So they were singing praises to the God day by day with loud instruments, and then it says, Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord, their teaching, and they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days, and they kept it another seven days with gladness. 
It was so good those first seven days. They said, can we do this again? And there were more people who were hearing about it and were coming late to the feast. And so they said, let's do it again. Let's run it back another seven days. And there was great gladness. And then you can read the numbers of the, of the sacrifices in verse 24 and so forth. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands uh, of offerings that were given to God. But then notice verse 26. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. This was the best holiday they had ever had since the days of the glory years when the nation was just getting started. It had been so long since they had served God in this way. This was so meaningful and so special. Verse 27, Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. So the people had the best feast they'd ever had. They praised God. They brought thank offerings to God. They worshipped God. They experienced salvation with God. They sung to God. And it's very interesting what that led to. Because as we mentioned already, when you have true revival, when you have true thanksgiving, it leads to action. It doesn't just stay with mere words. It expresses itself in some way in your life. Notice what happened in verse 1 of chapter 31. It says, Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah, and they broke the sacred pillars in pieces. They cut down the wooden images, and they threw down the high places and the altars from Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. The results of coming close to God, the results of remembering what he had done for them, the results of thanking and praising God was that they went out and they destroyed the altars to foreign gods. They took out the idols, the high places that had hung around. He was good, the king was good, but the high places were still there. Not so in the reign of Hezekiah. The people were so motivated by the goodness of God and their desire to be single uh, in their devotion to him that they went out and they made changes. They made changes. And I just want to read the closing verses of this chapter, chapter 31, verse 20 and 21. There were more changes that happened, but notice these verses. It says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he had began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. So he prospered. He did it all to obey God, to give glory to God, to thank and to praise God. And as a result, God blessed. He did it and he prospered. It seems like a good place to end this story, uh, to end this sermon series. 
as we enter into this week of thankfulness, I just want to remind us and challenge us with this reality that when we have true and deep thanksgiving, when we experience God in genuine ways, it leads us to do things, good things, express our gratitude in good ways, or um, increase our devotion to God, demonstrate that increase by making changes in our life. I don't know what God will call you to do, but maybe there are idols that are hanging around in your heart, high places that are in your life. Maybe God today is encouraging you to go out of this place and to tear those things down. Or maybe because of your gratitude for what God has done, he's going to lead you to do something special in reaching out to others, in thanking others, in appreciating others, in appreciating God. I love the idea that community services came up with. Have those bags with food to distribute to families in need. Maybe you know somebody, a family who could use something. That's an act of gratitude this afternoon you could do. Or the homeless ministries that go out and minister to the homeless. Or some other special project. Or kids, maybe just in gratitude to your parents, Sometime this week, you want to do the dishes without being asked. Or do your chores. And, but I tell you what, it feels so much better to do something when you haven't been asked and then receive praise for doing it than to have somebody say, you need to go do this, and then you feel obligated that you have to do it. So maybe there's an act of kindness that you can do in someone's life this week just in gratitude for all the blessings that you've received, uh, a special secret anonymous gift to someone, a, a phone call, a text, uh, or areas of your life that God is working on and you're going to tear down those idols this week. Let this week of gratitude and remembrance of the goodness of God lead you to action to bring joy to the heart of our Father this week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're going to be praising you for eternity, for what you've done. And, and even in all of eternity, we won't comprehend just how good you've been to us because we just don't get it. We think we get it, but we don't. You just are so good. And so all we can do is say thank you. And Lord, we want to be motivated to turn that thanksgiving into action. Help us know, each of us in our own hearts, what that'll look like this week, how we can express our appreciation to you. Uh, but Lord, give us courage and strength and, and the ideas to go out and do it and make a difference in someone's life, to make a difference in our own lives by surrendering idols to you, tearing them down, whatever you lead us to do, and we will thank you and praise you for it. This is our prayer. Let all God's grateful people say, Amen. Amen. Have a happy Thanksgiving and a happy Sabbath.